It's amazing when I have a baptism Sunday to think that our Lord Jesus Christ was helpless like a babe like that, isn't it? It's crazy for us to think. Um, as you know, we've had children in our worship service now for a few months. We've been very excited to have the youngest amongst us join us. And we've been looking for creative ways to get them um, continually engaged in what happens. If you will look in the pew racks, you will notice something new, not just lights around. But we have a children's Bible in every pew. It's the same children's Bible that we use in the elementary ministry um, on Sunday mornings. And so we thought it would be a great opportunity and way for the youngest of our kids to be able to engage with the Bible readings. Now, let me disclaim. You can't imagine that a Bible storybook would have the book of Hebrews in it, right? I mean, that's just complicated. Deuteronomy, kind of the same thing. So what we've done is gone thematically, themes that they can read along with what we're reading on as well, if there's not an exact uh, passage that it corresponds with. So without further ado. Our Old Testament reading today comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 15 through 22, which is on page 161 on the Bibles we provide, or page 36 in the children's Bibles. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. The Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him." But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. This is the word of the Lord. And our gospel lesson is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, which can be found on page 886 of the Bibles we provide, or 174 in the children's Bible. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're looking this morning for our study at Hebrews chapter 1, so 
Uh, from what Andrew said, uh, kids, I assume you're going to have a different reading. Uh, you'll find yours on page 212. I don't want to see too many grown-ups using the children's Bible while I'm speaking this morning, but I suspect some will. Uh, but uh, you'll find our text on page 1001 of the Bibles that we provide. Let me just say a word first. This is, as has been noted, uh, the first Sunday in Advent. It kicks off a new church year. There are four Sundays in Advent leading up to Christmas Day. That's how it always is. But uh, because Christmas Eve Day is a Sunday this year, the fourth Sunday in Advent, we're going to treat uh, the first three Sundays as Advent season and then the Christmas Eve service as Christmas Sunday. Now, that said, the, th the themes for these three Sundays in Advent are going to uh, take those three titles that appear in Scripture and that have been used throughout church history by theologians to examine the work that was entrusted to the Lord Jesus, of what he has done for us, what he continues to do for us. And those uh, three titles are prophet, priest, and king. Those were the three anointed offices within Israel. People were anointed to become a prophet or a priest or a king. And those anointings come together in the Messiah, the Christ, which is the Hebrew, which are the Hebrew and the Greek words for anointed. We're going to look this morning at the first, really the first two verses. I'll read the first four, uh, but the first two very particularly present us uh, with uh, the, the picture of prophet. And then as we continue in the study, really the first four verses give us all three of those offices, as you'll hear in a moment, prophet, priest, and king. So let's read together these first four verses of Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The word of the Lord. In these three offices, we see Jesus answering in his life and ministry, the three great needs that every one of us has in relationship to God. First of all, we need to know, is there a God? If so, who is this God? And what does this God want of me? And so we need a prophet, someone to speak to us on God's behalf. Then when we begin to know who this God is and what this God requires of us, and we see the chasm between his glory, his righteousness, his goodness, and our own rebellion against him. We need someone to mediate on our behalf. We need a priest to speak to God for us, to offer sacrifice on our behalf. And then having been reconciled to God, 
we need someone to lead us. We need a king. And so we see that this, uh, these three pictures that were given, even in these opening verses of Hebrews, answer the deepest needs of our heart. And we're going to focus this morning on the first prophet. It has been a theme of literature, art, music, movies, ever since the mid 19th uh, ever since the middle of the 20th century, the middle of around 1940s, end of the Second World War, as the optimism that had marked the 19th century finally was crushed. The theme of the silence of God, where is God in the midst of the Holocaust? Where is God when the world is torn to pieces? Where is God when a child is being abused, a woman raped, a man crushed under the heel? Where is God when life is not as we know life should be. And so that question that haunts every one of us at times, at least I confess it certainly does me, I can preach, but when I find myself in a situation of deep pain, worry, concern, crying out, the reflexive cry of my heart is, where are you? Where are you? Why don't you speak into this? Where are you in the midst of this thing? And yet, whenever we come to Scripture, it so often simply flips our concerns on their head. The Scriptures, if we are reading them carefully, thoughtfully, are always countercultural, counterintuitive, counter the questions we ask. We want proofs for the existence of God. Scripture is like, you want what? Are you kidding? It simply speaks on God's behalf to us. And as we cry out in what seems to us the silence of God, the Scriptures say, God has been speaking all along. The problem is not with God's silence, but with the deafness of a rebellious humanity that will not hear his voice. And so our author speaks of four ways that God speaks to us and is speaking still. And I want simply this morning to make sure that we're clear in hearing the ways that God speaks to us so that we'll know where to look. The first he says, in many times, many ways, God's been speaking. God speaks through the creation. He created to display his glory. We looked at that last week as we finished the solas, to the glory of God alone. And we heard then the psalmist in Psalm 19 saying, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The skies above proclaim the work of his hands day to day, pours forth speech, night to night declares knowledge. There is nowhere, the psalmist says, that this proclamation of the reality of God the Creator is not being displayed. I, somebody asked me a couple days ago, uh, are you a, a morning person or an evening person? And I've always, I think, been a morning person, but it sure has gotten easier as I've become an old man. Uh, I like evenings too, but I've found that I've become like one of those dolls. My kids 
used to have that when you lay it back, its eyes automatically close. So <laughs> if after dinner I just lean back, I kind of come to it at three in the morning. But first thing that I love to do in the morning is make a cup of coffee and go outside. I don't care the weather. I want to see that night sky. I want to smell the air. I want to feel it before the sun comes up. And even here in Knoxville, with all of the ambient light around, the sky is beautiful, and I always take my bearings on Orion and then turn around and look at the Big Dipper and then try to see what else I can see. But I know that there's so much more that I can't see because of the ambient light. The first time I realized that was years and years ago, years and years ago, uh, in the Navy, when I was in the South China Sea and came up on deck at night, and I'll never forget just drawing my breath and stepping back. It was a, a very high deck. It was a carrier at that time that I was on. And so we were up above the horizon, and the stars were below me. They started down at the horizon, and 360 degrees, horizon to horizon, I couldn't make out constellations because all that I saw was a, a sky filled with light. And even though at that point I was running from God and trying to deny his reality, I remember just looking and thinking, this didn't just happen. This is so majestic. We live in the part of the world where the majesty of God's artistry is displayed to us every day. And those with eyes to see, see that this could not have just come about. I've quoted to you many times over the years because uh, it, it was one of those things that you read that really strikes deep. A non-believing astrophysicist addressing the Royal Society, uh, the Royal uh, Academy of Science in in England, said, it was Sir Fred Hoyle, who said, look, the mathematical probability of all of this happening is far, far less than that a, her than a tornado blow through a junkyard and leave behind a fully functioning Boeing 747. He said, just by probability, this could not have simply happened. And yet, as we know, Paul said it was even happening back in his day. Romans 1, he said, we've turned our back. He said, every one of us has known from the universe that there is a God of power and majesty, and yet... We have turned our backs on his glory and worshiped instead created things. We worship, as it were, the shadow that we cast upon the earth. But it's there. It's there for every one of us. And God has been speaking to every people that have ever been. His power, his majesty. But that in itself is not enough to make us right. We know a God of power, a God of artistry, but who is this God? The great uh, 
18th century German philosopher Immanuel Kant said uh, in one of his writings that he was endlessly uh, interested in, he said it far more eloquently than this, but it was an abiding wonder to him, the starry heavens above and the moral law within. And that's the second way that God has borne testimony to who he is. Not only do we have the cosmos in all of its glory, we have the testimony within our hearts of the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. Anthropologists may emphasize the vast differences between different cultures, but any culture from what we might call primitive to the most, in our minds at least, advanced, share this thing, the Ten Commandments. There has never been a culture that has not said God or the gods are to be worshipped, feared, and served. Don't mess with them. There is not a culture that has ever said you can kill anybody you want. You can have any woman you want. You can take anything you want no matter who it belongs to. You can lie to anybody you want. They may say the people across the river are not fully human. You can do what you want with their stuff, with their lives, with their women. But none has ever said, here, you can just take what you want and do what you want. A person who does that is not liberated. That's someone we call a sociopath, a person with no conscience, no morals. And that is universal. That's what Kant was talking about, that there is the moral law within each heart. And Paul said that in Romans 1. He said, even the Gentiles who don't have the law given for Moses, have it written on their hearts. They know it. Everyone knows it. And that testifies to us what God desires of us, what he requires of us, that this is the good life, unless you think, why did God put that on us? I don't know about you, but I sure, whether or not I always want to keep God's law, I sure want my neighbors to. Everybody does. You know, murderers want the people on either side of them not to be murderers. Thieves don't want to be in the midst of a bunch of thieves. We all desire that. We all know that that sets us apart from being merely animals. So there is the testimony of God speaking through the cosmos of his power, and then it comes closer, and he speaks to us of who he is and of who he's made us to be by putting within our hearts a knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. And in healthy people, a sense of guilt when we persist in doing what is wrong. But that is not enough to make us right with God. And so he tells us that he has spoken across the years through the prophets. And the prophets, as we have them in in the scriptures, but there were many other prophecies they gave. But God gave us that which was normative for us to know about his requirements and his promises. And through the prophets, we begin to know the promise of his grace and his mercy to us. As he promises that at last, 
He will make things right, that he will provide the sacrifice that the blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient to take away. But if all that we had was the the heavens, our conscience, and the scriptures, it would only leave us with religion. And we would either be in despair or we would be religious people who think that everything's fine and that we've got it all right. But he says in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son who is the image of his glory, the express image of God. He is the true icon, image. He shows us what we were meant to be and what he will make us. And here's the wonder of it all. Religions always make God like an angry father who must somehow be appeased. And so many Christian people still see him that way. So many Christians have a picture of God, the angry father, and Jesus, the loving brother who's kind of standing between, trying to keep God from hitting us. May I say as an aside, over my years of ministry, the people who have the hardest time believing that God the Father loves them are those whose father could never say, I love you. Do you know how much you mean to me? Do you know how precious you are to me? Do you know I would do anything I could for you to thrive and grow? I've sat with especially guys and had them say, you know, I really think my dad loved me. I remember one time we were out fishing and I I almost felt he was going to tell me. But he never said it. Some years ago I heard Paul Simon being interviewed. He was being given yet another award. The person interviewing him said, is there anything you've ever wanted that you've not gotten? I mean, you know, you've won every music award that's out there. And he said, yes, the thing I most wanted I never got and I never will get. And I said, what? He said, my father's love and approval. That's all I ever wanted from life for him one time to say, I'm proud of you, I love you. And he said he died last year. I'll never, I'll never hear that. Well, let me tell you, if you had a father who didn't know how to be a father and to tell you how much he loved you, which fathers is one of the most important gifts we ever give our children. You have a heavenly father who loves you. And he sent his son to show us who he is. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I've come so that you may know him. Jesus went to those whom the religious people had rejected, and the religious people rejected Jesus precisely because he went to the people that they thought were not worthy of the love of God. And he said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. We would never know that through religion. And so many Christian people who study their Bibles still construct a religion in which God is the distant, angry Father. When instead, in Jesus' best-loved parable, the waiting Father, 
He tells us no. He's like the father waiting, scanning the horizon, longing for that prodigal to come back home. And before the prodigal can even come and make his speech, he runs to meet him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, throws a feast. This, my son, was lost, and now he's found. That's our heavenly father. That's how much he loves. That's what this season is all about. And I pray that as you and I go through this Advent season, our hearts will be more open perhaps than ever before to the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Just one final note. He's been speaking to you all your life. He's speaking to you now. Do you hear him? Do you hear him telling you how much he loves you and calling you to come home?